I'm Joel. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you for being with us. You can turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 19, um, or it will be on the screen, and you can follow along on there. I'm really excited today because we're starting a new five-week preaching series. So this will take us between Easter to Pentecost Sunday. That's a Sunday all around the world where Christians... Um, from all different kinds of uh, Christian traditions, celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that will be our next combined service. So it's the first Sunday in June. We'll combine with Franklin Avenue again for Pentecost. But between now and then, we're going to do this series on unbelievers. So I have the privilege of kicking this off with you here. And Kiara today is preaching uh, down at Franklin Avenue. And by the way, if, if, that, if you want to hear, for some reason, both sermons, because we're not necessarily preaching the same thing. Um, Kiara and I collaborated on this sermon, uh, but we did take it in a little bit of a different direction. Just so you know, both sermons at both locations are getting uploaded to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify. So if you ever want to hear the other sermon, uh, then you can listen to it later in the week um, if you want to take a deeper dive into this. And I wasn't planning on doing this, but since I mentioned Kiara, can I just for a moment uh, brag on our church staff? I, I do feel, uh, you heard Michael talking about uh, you know, the transition of me out of this lead pastor role. It's a transition not from you, uh, but just from this role. And um, maybe I'm, I'm feeling, uh, as time goes on, a little more differentiated from that particular role. So it's making me reflective on some things. And I, I just want to say to all of you that uh, our church staff, the pastoral staff here, um, from where I sit, they are just really pouring their hearts and their souls and their minds into this transition for your sake. They love you. So even today, you know, to watch Michael and Brooke up here leading us, you know, Brooke is on our pastoral staff, Michael's on our leadership team. By the way, uh, this may mean nothing to you. It's okay if it doesn't, if you don't know what I'm talking about. But Brooke, a couple weeks ago, got licensed to do ministry with the Christian Missionary Alliance. So she took her first step. Um, in that, and she will have uh, a process ahead of her of some more steps with training and mentoring and theological stuff and all of that, but it's a big deal, and I'm super glad that, that that's happening with Brooke. Um, Brooke is a leader who not only leads here, um, but really leads in our region, and so I'm really grateful um, to have her here. Um, and Brooke, by the way, behind the scenes, has just done so much to address some of our structure here at the tab. Um, it's stuff that if you only come on Sundays, you may not completely feel the impact of. But Brooke and other leaders, Christine, who's on our leadership team, some other folks have just put hours of work in, in stuff that you might not see up front here, but is making the gospel tab better, a better place for discipleship, a better place um, to care for people. So I'm just super grateful for them. Super grateful for Jake's leadership today. Uh, if you were here for the beginning of service, uh, you heard him just kind of talking through what worship looks like in this season of multiplication, um, where, uh, you know, we have another site worshiping on Franklin Avenue. And I hope what you hear in that is him pastoring you 
Um, it, that is pastoral work, is to explain what's happening, to help you feel like you can be part of what's happening, to lean into what's happening. And he's been so diligent with that, with all of you, and I've just appreciated his leadership. His wife, Carol, is on our pastoral staff, and uh, my mom, for many years, here attended the church. Some of you even you know, know my mom. And um, she hadn't been in our building for a while, and she walked in our building, it was a few months ago, and I got this long text message from her that was like, Joel, I've never seen the tab look like this. Like, it looks so nice in here. And Carol is behind a lot of that. Um, just so you know, she has put a lot of thought into how this space looks. So I'm just super grateful for her. Um, Kiara, who I said is preaching down at Franklin Avenue today, you should just know that Kiara has just poured her heart into that location. And it's not just about preaching. It's so many other details that go on to pull that off. Um, she's pulled together an amazing team down there that's helping, helping to lead that because our staff got stretched in the season. So we needed more volunteers. And she's really mobilized some of that down here. And then Bree, who just took our kids downstairs, you should know, since we hired Bree to be our children's ministry director... Uh, Brie had months after experienced a pandemic and then um, and that threw all of our children's ministry stuff into flux and then different iterations of us worshiping in two locations which has big ramifications for our children's ministry so if you see Brie you should thank her on behalf of our church. She has had to be so flexible these last two years and keep reworking things so that we can serve your kids um, well. And then Steve, um, he, he's really holding everything together around here right now, <laughs> just so you know. And so we're super grateful for him. He's actually our only full-time pastoral staff member. And, um, and I don't have to, if you know Steve, I don't have to convince you of of the trustworthiness of his leadership or the intensity of his love for you and God's presence. So anyway, I just want to brag on our staff uh, for a minute because they're just doing a really good job um, in, a season of, in a season of transition. And I don't think I forgot anybody, did I? Oh, John Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, let's talk about who really holds things together around here. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, John's role has changed a lot over the years, too, and he still has some hours here at the Gospel Tab, um, but a lot of his time is going uh, to the Greenhouse Lab. Um, but I want you to know, Steve, me, and John had a meeting in December. We've worked together for years in ministry, um, and we sat down and just wrote out, you know, here's our strengths, here's how we work together, here's our weaknesses, and uh, you should know this about John. He fills in a lot of weaknesses around here um, of other staff members. And he just does it so humbly and willingly. Um, and uh, I have been in ministry with John right by my side since I started ministry. Um, actually, while we were still in college. So I really can't imagine doing it without him uh, at this point. Um, he loves you as well. So anyway, thank you for praying for us. And just so you know, the staff here really, really loves you. All right. My message this morning is really simple, but we're going to start this series on unbelievers. Why have we named it this? Well, because unbelievers is one of our values. I say this from time to time, but you can see our values uh, painted out here on the wall. You can also read them on our website. But our values are our description 
of what we dream the church of Jesus could be. We like to say they're aspirational values. We're not claiming that we, the Gospel Tab family, have become all of these things. Uh, What we're saying is that this is what we dream to be together, is a group of people who value and love and pursue these things. And we want you to know these values because if you're going to hang with us, you should know where we're going. And this is where we're going. One of the places we are going as a family on mission, unapologetically, is into relationships with unbelievers. That is, people who do not believe what we believe, who have not declared that Jesus is Lord and been baptized in water. It's a big part of why we exist. And so I'm actually going to be up here, I can't remember, maybe in the next three or four Sundays with you all um, in this series. Different people will be preaching in both locations at this, uh, for this series. But I think um, the timing for this is really good. Um, from where I sit, from January until now, or maybe even before January, I'm just so grateful that in a season of transition um, where we are multiplying and leaders are transitioning, that God, it's just like God has leaned in close to us with his presence in this season. I've just been really grateful for it. We've had, in a span of just a few months, some really powerful services in this room and down at Franklin Avenue. And it's like God is just saying, like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. A lot is changing, but I'm here. And it's, he's the only one that doesn't change. Um, so we want to lean into his presence in these times of change. Um, but one thing that we've learned over the years is that when we lean into God's presence, when we have these encounters with his spirit, when we gaze on him in worship, that the outflow of that, if things are calibrated the right way, the outflow of that should be mission in our communities. Um, and it doesn't always happen. You should know that. There are worship and prayer movements on the face of the earth today um, that worship and pray very well. Uh, but I, I know some leaders in these kinds of movements, and they would say it never translated into mission. Um, it was just like, it just encountered Jesus again and again and again, it never translated. Well, for us, we want to say, yeah, we're going to you know, encounter Jesus in a setting like this or other settings, And then we're going to do the work of justice in our communities, or we're going to share the gospel. We have this training coming up in our community that the outflow of these times together should always end up being mission in our community. Um, We're part of a historic Christian movement called the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, Historically, our family of churches used to describe that by saying that we are both a deeper life and missions movement. In other words, we are deeper life, which is a way to say we come into God's presence. We let him work inside of us. God does this deep transformative work in our souls as we're in his presence and in his word. But then we, these flags aren't just hanging up like for the sake of having some more color in the sanctuary or something. We're connected to a network of churches that's doing ministry in all of these nations. That's important to us. And so we are a missions movement. We encounter God's spirit and then we go out and do mission. I see Jim is here today. When Jim and I were co-pastoring for the many years that we did that here, eight years or so, our language in those years was, and it's actually still in our value statement, you can find it in one of the paragraphs. Maybe there'll be some kind of like scavenger hunt, what I'm about to say. You can find it. Then I'll know if you actually read this stuff. Um, But we used to say that we want to be a people of intimacy and action. So intimacy in God's presence and action in the world, and that these two things feed into each other, all right? Um, So this language has been with us for a long time. And it makes sense to me, as we are in a season of God's presence coming closer, our worship going deeper, 
our capacity to linger in his presence. Steve Rossi is, is really uh, starting some regional kind of prayer stuff. We had a prayer gathering here in this room a few weekends ago. It was a seven-hour-long continuous prayer meeting. And sometimes there were two or three people in the room. Sometimes there were like 30 people in the room. But we just kept that burning. God is teaching us to do that right now. And it's not just involving our church. There's people uh, regionally beginning to pray in these ways. And, and what we're hoping is, what we're seeing is that that fuels mission. That that fuels more people being sent into the harvest locally and globally. That that fuels churches being planted. That that fuels people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So it makes sense to me that we would focus right now for the next few weeks on this thing about unbelievers. Um, I keep mentioning our value. Why don't we go ahead and read it? Um, I'll read it to you. It'll be up here on the screen. Our value for unbelievers. Do we have it there? Oh, it might not be there. There it is. Unbelievers. This is our statement. God's posture toward our unbelieving neighbors is love and compassion. Every person has participated in rebellion against God, and our spiritual enemy has inflicted spiritual blindness on us all. His love goes first in seeking us and drawing us back to himself. Jesus' death on the cross atoned for our sin so we could be restored to friendship with God. In our structures and strategies, we without hesitation prioritize the lost over the found, the sick over the well, we go to where they are rather than expecting them to be attracted to us. Um, this is a pretty radical statement, but we're behind it completely. Um, honestly, I don't know very many churches that without hesitation prioritize the lost first. Um, uh, sometimes it ends up being like a program that the church does. What we're saying is uh, Reaching the loss is not a program of the gospel tab. It is everything we do. We have worked over the years to streamline everything towards this one goal, to reaching our neighbors. Um, and so this is where our priorities lie. And over the years, if things have not fit that value statement, if we are putting our time and energy into things that do not ultimately result in lost people being found, then we cancel those things. Because that's not what we're about as a Gospel Tab family. Um, first and foremost, uh, we're about this. And, and to say something as bold, of that, as bold as that is to acknowledge the compassion of God for our unbelieving neighbors. And that's really what I want to draw our attention to today. So to do that, we're going to look at Luke 19. This is a story about Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. I'm not going to sing for it for you, but if you grew up in Sunday school, you might know a little song about him, all right? If you don't, it's okay. You're not missing much, but okay. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, can I just point out something here? Uh, Israel, at this period of time, when Jesus was walking the earth, is occupied by Rome. Rome, as the military occupier of Israel, extracts taxes from the people that it has occupied, right? This keeps the imperial system going. So they extract taxes from the Jewish people, but to do this, they hire people from among the Jews to be the ones to collect the taxes. Can you imagine a worse job than this? To be the one hired out of your own people to work for the enemies of your people to take money from them, right? So that's Zacchaeus' job. It's like 
Um, when I was in college, we had RAs, you know, resident assistants on our hall. At the time we were there, they were empowered to like give out punishments to their peers. You know what I mean? So like if you broke certain rules, like, like they're in college too, but they're allowed to like give you a fine or something like that. These were not liked people, all right? That's not how you become popular, all right? <laughs> and so that's what Zacchaeus is. Like these are his peers, but he is collect- collecting taxes. And um, he uh, probably, because this is what was common, he's probably charging too much in taxes. It mentions his wealth. He probably has gotten wealthy by overcharging. But there's nothing that the people can do because the Roman army has his back, right? So if someone doesn't pay up, well, he's able to put you in jail or whatever. So this is just not a popular dude, even though he is a wealthy dude. These people were despised uh, by their peers. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, so he's a short guy, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, for reasons I'll explain in a minute, and this is just totally me, we don't know the tone of Jesus' voice when he said this, but I almost imagine Jesus saying this with a smile and a laugh in his voice, is how I imagine. Because this looks ridiculous. This man who actually is wealthy, so he's climbed this tree. I hear Jesus saying, like, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this. Now pay attention to this. I'm going to say something about it. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So what we see is that Jesus' visit with Zacchaeus, whatever they talked about, was fruitful. And Zacchaeus here is having a conversion moment. And it's not just him saying, like, oh, I I believe in you, Jesus. Even though that's true, he calls Jesus Lord. So there is a statement of belief. Like, he's calling Jesus Lord. But now it's so real. Already it's gone so deep in him. His life is changing. He's about to give half of what he owns away and repay the people that he has cheated. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And now look at this. Here's a mission statement for Jesus if there ever was one. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Just want to point out four things about this passage. And wherever you are today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope something gets ignited in you to care about lost people. Um, If uh, you yourself are an unbeliever, I hope you hear the invitation of Jesus to you today because he is reaching out to you. Um, But Gospel Tab family, God has to do something deep in us on this issue. We have to see the compassion of Jesus in this passage. I'm going to ask you some challenging questions today as we go along Um, And we're going to take it to a gospel place. But we have to ask some of these questions because it is so easy to do stuff in mission, to be busy in mission, and to never actually lead people to faith in Jesus. It's so, and here's why that's a problem, guys. I don't know if you, you know, like the longer you've been in the church, 
probably the less, the more out of touch you are with this. But guys, over and over and over again, I meet people who do not know the things that we believe. They just don't know. Like a lot of the people that we've baptized here over the years, they did not know until somebody told them. It is a sign that we have become insulated in church life when we assume that our neighbors know what the heck we're talking about when we talk about Jesus and his gospel. There are so many people who don't have a clue. We're sitting here in worship today. I'm just pouring out my heart in worship to Jesus. And today, there's neighbors at our workplaces, schools, and neighborhoods who don't know even what we're singing about. What we claim is most important to us. They don't have a clue. And friends, I do want you to know, our actions are never going to be enough. They're a big deal. But your actions by themselves aren't going to tell people the story of Jesus. We do have to stretch in this area. We do have to learn how to... If you come to the first training that Brooke and I will do and then the next few weeks, the timing of this is perfect... We're going to give you some just really practical steps. And where we're going to end is just this challenge to say Jesus' name with your friends. Don't even worry about like leading them to faith or something. Like that will come. We just want to challenge you to actually say his name. If he's what is most important to you, then say to one of your friends, I've been praying to Jesus. They might not even have any clue what you're talking about. But there's a challenge in that for us to open our mouths. Okay, four things, four quick observations I want to make. I said too much. I got to stay on, on time here. Luke 19. One, I, I want to, you to notice that Jesus, first of all, super simple, notices spiritual seekers. How does he know that Zacchaeus, for all that he's done wrong, all the people he's cheated, all the people he's lied to, that's what Zacchaeus is. He's like a cheat. He's lies. How does Jesus... Like, what, what draws Jesus to this guy? Well, it's because Jesus notices that he's a spiritual seeker. How? Well, because Zacchaeus is acting strangely. Like, he climbs this tree. And this has been, in my experience, too, that spiritual seekers sometimes do strange things. And if we can pay attention enough, we will interpret, like, Jesus sees, like, Zacchaeus climbing that tree. Jesus interprets this as a certain thing. Like, this guy wants to see me. Like, this guy wants to know what I'm saying. Like, this guy wants to... So, let me give you some, like, examples that I've experienced from my life. Every time somebody opens up to me about their involvement in the occult, every time they talk to me about how they're using crystals or they're consulting horoscopes or any of that stuff, and friends, you should know these things are dangerous and they do create demonic bondages. I've... I've been in rooms with too many people casting demons out of too many people to believe that this stuff doesn't actually get talons in us. So friends, be careful. But every time I meet somebody who engages that stuff, I, I'm aware of the demonic vulnerabilities, but I'm also like, this person is seeking spiritually. Every time I talk to someone who's really explored a faith that's different than the faith that I believe, I see this person as a spiritual seeker. And I'm bringing this up because if we see all of these people as our enemies and then we put up walls and we think that our role is to be adversarial to people who are acting what seems strange to us, we will miss the opportunity of what God is letting us see, that this person is seeking, right? 
And so I think the first thing is just noticing. I love it when young guys in our community show me the rap music that they're listening to. And many times it's not stuff we play in church. You know what I mean? But I love listening to it. Here's why. Because many times if a young guy is showing me the song, it means that it has spoken to them somehow, often on a spiritual level. And in the lyrics of this rap artist, however far away they may be from God, it gives me a clue as to what this person's soul is looking for. I want to enter into that story with them. Um, I want to understand, right, what it is that God's doing. So there's all of these ways that we just start to notice that some people are seeking after God. So here's just my question for you. Uh, what spiritual seekers have you noticed recently? Like in your life? Like at school or, um, you know, at work or in your neighborhood? Um, where have you noticed things that have been said, behavior? Sometimes it's really subtle stuff that would let you know that, hey, this person who might be far from God is noticing, is seeking something, and I'm just noticing that. Because in the noticing, we can then cooperate with what God is doing. Secondly, Jesus prioritizes spiritual seekers. Um, Jesus is walking into this town with this whole crowd, whole crowd of people excited to be with him. And he sees this one guy spiritually seeking and he's like, I must come to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. I said I wasn't going to sing it, but it's just in my head this whole sermon. Anyway, so he's, he's like, I'm, like, I'm going to stop everything and go to be with this person. Um, this person who's seeking after Jesus becomes Jesus' priority. This says, I hope you see something in that. It says something about the compassion of Jesus. That this person's unbelief, this person's lostness is more important to Jesus than hanging with his friends. It's more important to Jesus than a crowd that makes him feel popular. It's more important to Jesus than wherever he's going to next. I'm assuming he had a schedule. He drops everything to be with this guy. And friends, this, for this whole series... If you want to know what I'm praying, Kiara and I were saying this to each other yesterday. What we're praying for is that as we encounter God's presence together in worship and in prayer, we're going to gather together again for prayer tonight, that God does something in our hearts that puts Jesus's compassion in us. Because one of the things, one of the reasons we don't notice and one of the reasons we don't prioritize is simply because we don't care. And we have to face that. Scripture is so honest with it. You know the Old Testament story of Jonah? Uh, this Old Testament prophet who gets a call from God to go to this pagan city, Nineveh, to preach the gospel there. And Jonah tries to run away, and a storm overtakes him, and the sailors throw him into the sea, and a big fish swallows him and spits him up on the ground. You know that whole story in the Old Testament, Jonah? That whole story, if you really read, it's only four chapters long. I encourage you to go back and read it. That whole story is really only about one thing. And it's this, that Jonah really doesn't give a rip about that city. He could care less about these people who are going to experience God's judgment, who are going to experience destruction. Like the whole point of the story is just to reveal the callousness of Jonah's heart. And friends, I've been there. You've been there too. It's so easy for our hearts to end up in this place. There's something that God has to do with compassion. Recently, someone that I'm in ministry with asked me, 
it was a good question. They were trying to draw something out of me. But they said, do you think it's enough for us just to strategize and structure ourselves for mission and make plans for mission? Or does the wind of God need to do something as well? And my answer was, that's why Jonah's been on my mind. I said, actually, because we were in a meeting strategizing and talking and making plans. And I said, the whole time I'm sitting here in this meeting, I'm thinking about Jonah and how we can strategize and structure and say mission until we're blue in the face. But until God's compassion seizes us for lost people, we just won't care. We just won't. There's a fire that has to get lit into our hearts. It's why all mission starts in prayer. Because we will never be compassionate enough unless God visits us with his compassion, unless something deep happens inside of us and goes inside of us. Um, And out of that, then, we can structure in our priorities. We can prioritize in our structures, rather, that lost people matter to us most that without hesitation as a church, we prioritize them. So let me ask you, what spiritual seekers are you prioritizing? These are questions I'm asking myself. Am I prioritizing in this season? Um, It's one of the reasons, do you know, for a church our size, we actually don't have that much on the calendar. And this is one of the reasons why we did not want to attract Christians or church people who were just looking to fill their calendars with church stuff. We didn't build this to be that. We actually wanted to leave room for you to hang out with your unbelieving friends, for you to hang out with your neighbors at a barbecue. Like if every waking moment is spent coming to church, how could we say that we're prioritizing unbelievers? Like it's going to get fleshed out in the way that we do church, in the way that we live our lives together. Thirdly, I love this, the humility of Jesus. Jesus receives the hospitality of spiritual seekers. I love this. Jesus is like, I'm going to go to your house, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus invites him. And so much of Jesus' ministry happened around a table. You know, the way we reach our community is not by hosting outreach programs. By the way, I see so many, I see, I don't want to be like critical because God uses it all, but I see so many Christians organizing outreach programs and it lets me know they really don't have unbelieving friends because unbelievers out there aren't looking to hang out at a church on the weekend. You know that, right? It's not like, oh, I wish that there was a movie night in a church basement with some hard chairs so I could, like I, like guys, don't even know about Jesus. You know what I mean? Like it's not, It's not like what they're looking for. Um, So I love that Jesus, and if you were planning a movie night, I'm sorry, but I love that Jesus, just soft your chairs, that's all. Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' space, which is so humble, even as the Son of God, that he goes to his table. I have to remind myself many times that this is how God is working out in the world. Can I tell you something that's happening in my neighborhood? Lots of Spanish-speaking people are moving into the Plan 12 neighborhood of Aliquippa. Like, a lot. Right after this service, we're going to get tacos at La Pablanita in uh, Ambridge. We're going to go to the new one, right, in Ambridge. Guys, have you tried these tacos? You need to. Um, And so, uh, all these Spanish-speaking people moving into the neighborhood, it's part of some of the regional shifts that are happening. We're selling, we're moving this week back to Franklin Avenue, so we're selling some of our stuff on Facebook because some of our furniture won't fit in that space. Um, And a lot of the inquiries I'm getting are from Spanish speakers. 
Um, it means, and Facebook has dropped these advertisements because they're local, right? Our house sold two weeks ago. Spanish-speaking family bought it. I predicted it because it's what's happening in, in our neighborhood. Um, so I've been in this season of transition, but I'm always asking, what's next, God? And I just want to join him in what he's doing. And so I think in, a, in I don't know, a few months, we might start another missional community and I would love for it to be Spanish-speaking people. I don't even speak Spanish, but here's the deal. Your weakness is not a liability when it comes to mission. Actually, if it makes you look ridiculous and you have to humble yourself, you're actually doing way better in being present with your unbelieving friends. So if I'm in a position where it's like, I got to learn some Spanish, I got to learn to say a few things, then I, yes, then I'll, then I'll like figure it out. You know what I mean? But here's what I thought. In my mind, I'm making all these plans. You can ask my wife. I'm always making all these plans. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, we're going to start this thing at our house, invite all of our Spanish-speaking friends, and like all this stuff. And then it occurred to me, and maybe that is the right thing to do, but it occurred to me that some of our Spanish-speaking friends in the last year have invited us to their parties. Guys, the food. Oh, my gosh. Lord, send me. Here am I. <laughs> but we keep showing up at these parties we're the only, you know, white people, English-speaking people there. And we get to be at their table, right? Eat their food. Um, this is the pattern of Jesus. He makes himself present in the lives of unbelievers, not just by inviting them to our things, but his compassion leads him to be present in their spaces. So my question is, what spaces run by unbelievers, led by unbelievers, hung out in by unbelievers? What are those spaces are you spending time in? Because often that's the first step, is just being present. Last thing, Jesus, I love this, is unconcerned about his reputation around spiritual seekers. This is stunning to me. He doesn't care what people think. As soon as he starts hanging out with Zacchaeus, all the people are like, oh, look, he's hanging out with that sinner. Like, the religious people... And, and I'm just, I don't know if this, like, connects to you or not. I'm just going to give you what I have. I just want to say, this experience of Jesus really resonates with me, and it has resonated with parts of my life, because I've experienced this. I'm sure I've done it, too, but I've experienced it. It makes me think, why would, what's their deal? Like, why would you mutter like that? Because he's hanging out, you know, with someone with a bad reputation. Is it because it's scandalous? Is it just hatred for Zacchaeus? Maybe. But here's what I've discovered, and I do want to warn you. I think the number one reason that people who are pr proximate, close to God, you know, church people, people who feel close to worship and who feel close to the Bible, I think one of the main reasons that they start to complain when when people start to spend their time around unbelievers, it's just jealousy. Um, if I told you, and I'm not going to because that's not the point this morning, but if I told you all the comments I've had to navigate in my ministry over the years, and they become less and less and less because you guys are awesome, awesome, awesome. But if I told you all the comments I've had to navigate over the years of people coming to me being like, how come all you do is hang out with, and they fill in the blank, with whoever they think they're hanging, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with, and by the way, they don't even know. But it's like, why are you hanging out with just people like that? Or why are you hanging out with people like that? Or why are you hanging out with people like that? That's been a theme my whole ministry. And if you find yourself talking that way, friends, it means you are becoming part of the religious establishment that mutters when we begin to prioritize people who are far from God.
Um, Jesus doesn't care, though. He's just going to spend his time with these people. It's amazing. Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. He does not claim to give everyone equal time. He actually says, there's a priority to my time. And the priority to my time is going to be with unbelievers. It's one of the reasons why I think Jesus' presence has become so strong among us. Jake, if you could come play. I think one of the reasons God's presence has become so strong among us is not because we just like encountered him in here, not because like revival just broke out in this room. I think one of the reasons is, is because we found out that Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. And so he's out there. And the more we discovered him out there, it felt like the more he was willing to let us experience him in here. It was like, this is what his heart beats for, is to reach people who are far from God. You may have no idea how to do this. And I want you to know, we learn to do it in the territory of looking foolish, of just being friends with unbelievers, of just prioritizing them, their lives, their concerns. It's not about forcing people to pray a prayer or something. I don't know what you've been exposed to in evangelism, but that's really not what it's like. You just become friends with unbelievers. And, and I don't know how this is hitting you. If it's hitting you heavy, like, like oh, I'm a terrible Christian because I don't do this stuff. Well, then he, let me preach some good news to that bad news. Here's the gospel, friends. The reason we do this is because this is what Jesus did for each one of us. We were seeking. He noticed. And and if you're in the family, you know what it's like for, Jesus has the concerns of the world on his shoulders, but you know what it feels like to have him sitting across the table being like, I'm concerned for you. Your fears, your hopes, your sin. He's still entering into our spaces and making himself so present Right? In, in all of those spaces. He was unconcerned about his reputation when he associated with me. And friends, you should know this. He knew what he was getting into when he got into me. He knew what he was getting into when he got into you. He knew the embarrassing things. He knew the worst thing. You thought about like, what if somebody knew And I hope you actually have this experience. I hope you have someone like this. But have you ever thought, like, what if everyone in this room knew every single thing I've done? What is the worst thing you've done? The thing that just makes you look slimy. That's what Zacchaeus was. It was a slime ball. Jesus is not embarrassed to be friends with someone like that. He's not embarrassed to be your friend. It's why, if you're sitting here today as an unbeliever, He's here, and he loves you, and he'll give you the time of day, and he's noticing what's stirring in your hearts. I just pick up on these little things with people. Someone will say, I'm thinking about God more than I have in the past, or this song lyric is speaking to me, or I never wanted to go to church, but all of a sudden I want to go to church. All those things are just someone beginning to seek and God beginning to notice. And we just get invited to be part of that story. Friends, I'm going to end with this. This will probably just take me five minutes. But I think we have to remember that if somebody hadn't have told us, then we wouldn't have known, right? Just today, I just think it would be honoring to God if we just remembered that through most times a person, 
Jesus noticed us. All over the world today, like in the Muslim world, Jesus is showing up in dreams to people. It's unprecedented. We've never seen. If Jesus doesn't come back for another 200 years, our Christian history books will talk about what's happening right now in the Middle East and other places in the world. I was in a village in Senegal, and we met a man. I'm not going to have time to tell you the story, but we met a man who three times, no Christians, no church in that village, three times Jesus appeared to him in a dream identified his name. This man's following Jesus now, planting a church in that village. Crazy story. Jesus is still noticing, you know, unbelievers. But more often than not, he notices through us. He puts one of us into the life of an unbeliever, and we notice their fears. We notice their concerns. And Jesus extends his love to us, um, to them through us. I was thinking about what that meant for my family. I want to share this story because I find that if people came to faith later in life, uh, they get this a little bit more because they remember as adults what it was like to be far from God. And there is a kind of compassion in them that's like, I would never want to go back to that. Where I sense more of the apathy is in people like me who were raised in the church who went to Sunday school, who were in church every Sunday, sometimes we're so out of touch with unbelievers, especially if our church that we grew up in wasn't in touch with unbelievers. But when I think about Jesus noticing Zacchaeus in that tree, I think about how Jesus did it with my family. You know, this church used to be on Irwin Street in Plan 12. That building is still there. It's apartments now. And this church all those years ago, used to send out teams to do door-to-door evangelism. It's not really how we do it anymore. Our, our methods are going to change, but, but this church cared about people who were far from God, and so they would send people out. Well, one of the doors that they knocked on on Irwin Street was my great-grandparents' house. And by this point, Ethel and Merle Hendricks had raised their kids. Their kids had moved out of the house. Um, they, they hadn't raised their, you know, family in the things of God. And I don't know the details, but somebody from this church told them. They, I don't know how many doors they knocked on that day, but I, I just imagine that they noticed something in my great-grandmother Ethel and my great-grandpa Merle. Um, I just think they noticed something It was like they're seeking. And the conversation progressed, and eventually they came to faith. And some of the, some of like the real old timers here at the Gospel Tab, when I first became a pastor here, they would tell me, I never knew my great grandfather. He passed before I I died. I have some memories of my great grandmother, but they would say that every service that they would open it up to share testimonies, he would stand up and talk about how Jesus found them. Like late in life, you know, how Jesus, like, noticed him. But God did it through people. God did it through people in this church who loved a certain neighborhood. It was plan 12. Now, by that point, my grandmother was already out of the house. And uh, at first, my understanding is some of the family members kind of thought they were crazy because they hadn't lived this life. And now all of a sudden they're going to church all the time and all this stuff. But let me tell you, let me tell you what happened with my grandmother, because this is how faith reached me. My grandmother was nominally attending a Presbyterian church here in the area, because this is getting recorded, I'm not going to name the church, but she was nominally attending a Presbyterian church where not 
the gospel, and there's a lot of churches like this, no matter what, what denomination, the gospel just wasn't preached very often there. But she heard about a Bible study that was happening in the basement of the church. And so she started to go to this, just some women opening up their Bible in the basement of the church. And this church is still in the area. Well, a bunch of these women came to faith in the basement of the church. Like they'd been doing church stuff, but they just didn't know because nobody had ever told them. And they start reading Romans and it's like they were spiritually seeking. And the people who are spiritually seeking do weird things. So they, they turn to James chapter five, which says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and anoint them and pray for, for them and the sick will be made well. Well, there really weren't any elders in the church who would have wanted to participate in that. But these women were like, we're just going to take the Bible really seriously here. Like it just says it, we're just going to do it. So they started anointing each other and people started to get healed in the basement of this church. And friends, this church, and this might mean nothing to you, I don't know how much you know about denominations. It's kind of unusual for a Presbyterian church to have a regular healing service. But this church in our area still has a regular healing service. And it was started by these women in this basement who were just seeking after God and found that salvation was not just for their souls so they could go to heaven, but for their physical bodies so they could be healed now. And they just took it seriously. But somebody told my grandma, Margie, somebody told my great-grandma, Ethel, Jesus noticed me through them. He's noticed us through people. And that's why he's inviting us to see what he sees. Who's closing?